Hello, everyone. You are listening to episode four of Hot Blooded. I'm your host, Kat Jones, and this is my podcast where I talk to musicians about love, rock and roll, and any other off the wall topics that come up along the way. I am recording this in my bedroom in Brooklyn, New York, and am five weeks into quarantine. I think I've lost count. Um, some days are better than others, but overall, I think weirdly I might be adjusting and I can't tell if that's a good or bad thing because it's going to be weird as hell being around humans again if I become totally complacent, never leaving my home. But anyway, I hope that you are all doing okay and finding reasons to smile as often as possible in this very bizarre time. Anyway, moving on. This week's guest is Danny Kiranos, who is the sole singer-songwriter slash guitarist slash banjo player of the Murder Folk project Amigo the Devil. And he is someone whose music has profoundly moved me since the first time I saw him play years ago in Tucson, Arizona at this metal festival called Southwest Terror Fest. Um, a little backstory. Southwest Terror Fest was this three-day event that used to happen in multiple venues across Tucson every October, right before Halloween, when the desert weather was warm but not stiflingly hot like it is in the summer. And it was super fun, and despite being a broke writer for all of my 20s, I scraped together enough cash to go in 2014, 2015, and 2016, but I think 2015 was my favorite year. Um, that year was a very doom metal focused year with bands like Sleep and Bong Ripper and Acid King on the lineup. And because of the amount of slow, doomy bands playing and the fact that it was in its fourth year, the organizers cheekily called it Southwest Terror Fest Volume 4, which was a nod to the Black Sabbath record. And the poster featured Tony Iommi wearing a studded jacket in the outline of the state of Arizona. You should Google it. It's a very awesome picture. And on a personal note, I was quite uh, tickled with myself because I somehow managed to convince this wildland firefighter named Guy, who I had a massive crush on at the time, to take leave from work and go on a random spur-of-the-moment adventure and fly from Oregon to Tucson to see metal bands with me all weekend. And... We had a preposterously fun time that involved lots of whiskey and illegal fireworks and daytime pool games and desert dive bars and also probably the biggest bruise I have ever gotten in my entire life across my lower back due to accidentally getting slammed into the wall of Club Congress during Bong Ripper's set, which was worth it because to this day, I think it was one of the greatest and most mesmerizing sets I've ever seen. So I kind of wore it like a trophy. Anyway, on the first night of the festival at a venue called 191 Tool, one of the heavier bands was playing maybe in the company of Serpents, I think. I honestly can't remember. But when they finished playing, Guy and I were walking out to the front to grab a drink and suddenly there was a crowd forming around this really intense looking dude playing banjo by the merch tables which seemed incredibly random to me at a metal festival but it immediately made perfect sense to me as soon as i realized that all of the words that he was singing were these incredibly dark romantic tales 
from the perspective of serial killers, uh, some real, some fictionalized. And he was so charismatic that he was cracking jokes and getting everyone to sing along to these jaunty but totally brutal songs about murder, whether they had ever heard his music or not. Of course, this person was Amigo the Devil. And for the rest of that trip, we were obsessed with him. We found out every single set he was going to play throughout the whole festival, whether it was listed on the official schedule or announced day of through social media or flyers he was handing out at shows. And gosh, we saw him play at a fancy distillery. We saw him play in bathrooms and stairwells and even the backyard of a record store while like 30 metalheads sat cross-legged on the ground. Um, We saw terrifying men with face tattoos staring lovingly up at him while he played. Um, He always made earnest eye contact with every single person in the room while like stomping around in his cowboy boots on top of bars, (laughs) completely stealing the show from even the biggest headliners of the night. And he would just be up there shouting about love and murder at the top of his lungs. And we would all just be grinning sheepishly at him. Afterwards, we'd go say hello to his amazing girlfriend, Alicia, who was always selling merch from this table that was adorned with a Pogo the Clown bust and human body parts in jars and bones in a suitcase. Like It was a whole experience. Um, And then we'd go back to our hotel room and look up his albums on Spotify and keep listening to him. We loved him. So it was obvious from that first introduction to him that he was the type of musician who not only deserved to be huge and successful because everyone who watches him loves him, but he was also clearly putting in the work and walking the walk to make it happen. And five or so years later, it's obvious that his hard work and talent and pure love of what he's doing has paid off. Um, He routinely sells out many venues as a headliner, but also has opened for huge metal bands like Clutch and Dropkick Murphys and Hatebreed. Despite not being a metal act at all, he's a country or folk artist, depending on how you look at it. And um, he even recently was going to go on tour with Murder by Death. Actually, they may have played like one or two shows, but of course it got rescheduled due to COVID-19. But that is going to happen, I think, next year. It's been amazing watching his career. So... All that said, while it's wonderful to watch all these amazing things happen to him that are incredibly deserved, the coolest thing about Amigo the Devil, or Danny as a person in general, is watching the evolution of his work. So back then, when I first saw him, he had three EPs out, which were called Manimals, Diggers, and Decompositions, which he has since re-released on vinyl and streaming services just as a, a one record called Volume One. Um, they were mostly composed of tongue-in-cheek, campy horror type of love songs about or from the perspective of real serial killers. There's a song about Jeffrey Dahmer going to Hollywood to seduce men in bars and murder them. There's a song about Ed Gein crooning passionately to his victims and fictional stories, which some of which he'll mention in this interview. Um, one about a woman taking revenge on an abusive husband or wishing a long lost lover's husband would die. Um, Every one of them would get stuck in your head, whether they're beautiful and wistful ballads or like goofy foot stompers. 
And they all do a great job making light of otherwise awful situations and people. And his 2018 album, which is called Everything is Fine, which was actually interesting fact produced by Ross Robinson, who has worked with Korn and Slipknot and many acts far heavier than Amigo the Devil. Um, this record is deeply personal. The beast at the center of every song is no longer a murderer in history, but rather kind of turning it inward and looking within the self and all of the evil that the self can create, you know, your, within your own mind and your own actions, drug dependency, depression, suicidal thoughts, instigation or perpetuation of toxic relationships, dishonesty, cruelty to loved ones. The list goes on. You know the things we're all capable of. But after all of that, the central message is the realization and understanding that you don't have to be that person you always were. And you can learn from your mistakes and you can move forward so you can do a better job loving people. And this empathy for sort of the darker hearts of the world and the message of love in his music has resonated with fans all over the place. There's even a Facebook group called The Fellowship of Amigo the Devil where fans can look out for each other and talk about anything from his shows to personal things like death of loved ones or even just how their day is going. And because of this, despite being a solo act, I mean, he plays by himself, Danny recognizes that Amigo the Devil has taken on a life of its own and therefore has taken to using the term we are Amigo the Devil instead of I am Amigo the Devil, sort of giving reverence to this growing community all around him and knowing that, you know, we're all in this together. Obviously, Danny is a person that I wanted to talk to about love. Love of all kinds from finding inspiration and romance in the darkest stories in history to his relationship with his absolutely amazing partner, Alicia, who tour manages him and makes his project run smoothly all over the world. So I hope you enjoy our chat. Hi. How are you? Uh, well, I'm glad that we finally got this uh, going. I'm sorry it didn't work in New York, but thanks for being patient with us. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably the busiest person that I know. So um, <laughs> I really didn't take it personally that we couldn't make it work in New York. Yeah. And um, also the night that you were here, it actually worked out kind of nicely for me just to not have anything to do that day. And snowing really hard that day right like it was like a, yeah a it was huge it's blizzard. really bad <laughs> <laughs> how was your show that night i was so bummed that i missed it um for for you it, it was terrible it was not worth going to <laughs> I doubt for, that. For <laughs> it was unreal it was oh, unreal awesome. yeah it was it was unreal that whole tour was really something else and i think that was the first time that that a show in New York 
St. Vitus was great. It was really, really fun. But the last show was overwhelming, almost. How so? Just how much energy there was. And it was also one of those shows where I want to say the first song, I broke a string and shit just started going terribly so quickly (laughs) that I had a, a minor little panic and then had to kind of re (laughs) I had to pick myself up very very quickly within one song to be like don't ruin this don't mess this up and everybody was just so so unified that night and it was it's weird it's just such good energy that whole tour it was awesome that is so cool yeah it's so crazy because I think all the time about how I used to see you play on top of the bar top, like between bands at Southwest Terror Fest and stuff, or like on in stairways <laughs> with like your merch in a suitcase. Um, and yeah. now you're headlining huge venues and having huge bands open for you. <laughs> How does that feel? That happened in like a matter of just a couple of years, too. Uh, very fortunate. I think that we have been given a lot uh, from other people. For example, the bands that, that have agreed to come out with us, they are, um, they don't have to say yes, obviously. You know, it's, it's a very, very um, mutual kind of give and take. I think mostly they give more than they take. <laughs> and, and we are very grateful to have the kindness that's been surrounding us through this project. Um, speaking of the bathroom shows, somebody had just, Haas, Haas just sent me over uh, pictures from the, the Rialto bathroom. And it's, it's me in the corner with a guitar by a urinal. <laughs> and like 20 people in there just like, what is going on? And, and then the next picture was a, a, the marquee of the Rialto with our name on it. Oh my God. <laughs> and I was losing my mind. That was just, we've been very fortunate. Everyone's been very kind. So, you know, enjoying it while it's there. <laughs> so back when I used to see you playing on bar tops and, in Arizona and drawing crowds of people who were there to see bands like Sleep and Neurosis and stuff like that. You're mostly singing about serial killers and creating love songs out of their stories. I was so I was so taken with the way that you have these like really, really dark stories, but you create this like beauty out of it and this romance and um, it becomes almost hopeful and Tell me a little bit about how you found that that romance in such dark places. I think it's definitely been a progressive, not progressive. There's there's been an evolution to even the old songs in my mind, where if I if I sit here and try to remember the the emotions I was trying to convey back then, a lot of it had to do with a humanizing element of, of the, of the terrible. So in my mind, I, I pictured 
what's the the most extreme version of love that you can have? This amazing feeling that we all strive for in everything we do, because you know, not even just relationships, but love of of career, love of uh, just hobbies, um, self love in general. There has to be an opposite side of it that is still considered love, but what's the the bad side of it? And it's that extremity of like these people do believe it is love. You know, this mindset is love and care and this extreme jealousy is characterized essentially by i love you so much i want you to myself and no one else and i think initially my goal was all right how can we humanize this extreme version of love and then as the years have gone on and i i've played those songs plenty <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of revisited what those songs mean to me now, for example. And I think there is a dangerous side of, of, of what we call or consider love, which is essentially what it really means to love someone, as opposed to be obsessed with someone, as opposed to lust for someone, as opposed to believe that someone else will make you whole through your hardships and your voids and your um, shortcomings. And it's been kind of hard to, to put myself back in, in the initial innocent headspace that I was in before. It was such a simple concept of like, how do we make this sound romantic, even though it's terrible? <laughs> and it was fun. At the time, and now I think it's it's become something more along the lines of how do we um, differentiate between different types of love, between you know positive and negative aspects of of relationships, of emotion, and all that, which is definitely way more of the focus in the newer music that's that I'm writing now, especially, but that's a struggle that I've been having is what the songs meant to me versus what they mean to me now. And then throughout all of these shows, the 700,000 shows we played in the last year or two or three, <laughs> I see what it means to other people. Not what, well, not what the songs mean to other people, but what the story what people take from the stories themselves, perspectives that I didn't really initially see. And I'm very, very grateful that everyone has their own perspective on, on what the songs mean and on what the stories mean. But you really get to see how a song is a living thing. A song is a very living thing. And I think it grows as people do. And it changes with emotions and it changes just like a relationship does. It's kind of cool. Can you give me an example of an experience at a show where someone has given you a perspective on one of your songs that you hadn't thought of before? Um, so Perfect Wife, I think, is one of the songs that I currently struggle with the most. A struggle is a hard word, but 
I never meant it to be the violent side of the story. I meant it more as in overcoming the hardships of a, uh, a relationship type situation. And it was just the most extreme version of a struggle in a relationship that I can consider or that I could think of at the time. It's, it's one of the first songs I wrote for this. And uh, I didn't really know, not that I do now, but especially then, I didn't really know how to uh, vocalize what I had inside. Right? So it, it came out, um, it's kind of like a campy horror movie, if you think about it on the same terms of just very uh, obviously just visual violence in the song and all that. Again, I, I really didn't have any idea what I was trying to convey other than that, that overcoming the hardship kind of, a the furthest example at that moment of a bad relationship to kind of turn it into uh, some sort of a victory. Right. And then over the years I started hearing different people with different perspectives. The, the one that broke my heart the most was any time that somebody enjoyed that song for the violence, for the, the harm, for the abuse aspect of it. And that, that broke my spirits for a long time because I had not, naively, I had not considered that people were going to take it that way. Um, I thought... You know, if you put a song out there, everyone's going to know exactly what you mean. <laughs> right. And obviously, obviously not. Um, but then the other perspective of it is people that would say that it, it reminded them of these terrible relationships and situations and abusive situations that they had gotten out of successfully. And it reminded them of the, the, the aftermath, the safety that they had found after dealing with that. And it was, it was a really hard struggle to, to decide where I sit on like a song like that. Is it, is it worth the positive outcome of it for a large group of people that enjoy the song? If a few people find the negative aspect of it and run with the worst part of the song. And the biggest difference there is everyone's going to take things however they want to. I've learned that now. But of course. the people that did take it as a positive scenario, I don't mean positive as the story of the song positive. I mean, the, the aftermath, the feeling, the, the all around encompassing ideal of the song is when they attached it to self-preservation and they attached it to like, yes, this goes back to, yes, I, I am in love deeply or so I think so, but it is damaging me. It's harming me. It's, it's not worth keeping around, essentially. And so now what that song means to me is a reminder that just because something feels good when it's good, which is one of the weirdest things that people say as a human, we all get stuck saying it's, you know, yeah, but when it's good, it's really good. That's, that's the... <laughs> That's the definition of good, you know? Right. <laughs> like, oh, it's it's always the last place you look. Well, obviously, because if you look after that, you're fucking, like, you found it. Why would you keep looking? Right. It's always going to be the <laughs> last the place the you journey. look. <laughs> yeah. So, 
I've really been enjoying re-exploring the thought process and learning from people as much as, I mean, more than I ever thought I would. So on the new, on the new record, everything is fine. You have the sequel to that song called you're perfect Two. was, was the decision to make a sequel to that song as a result of your feelings about perfect wife. Um, no, I, I kind of always had the sequel in mind. I just wasn't sure, uh, how I was going to present it. I didn't even think it was going to be a reality, but there was something working with Ross, I think helped me a lot with that song specifically because the initial thought was, Oh, this is, this is pandering to some degree. And that wasn't at all how that song was born. That song was just born out of a general, like, oh, this would be a cool perspective to write a song from. And then with the similarities, I just started sneaking in these little Easter eggs. And then finally, I was like, oh, let's just make it part two, essentially, the other side of the story. And that was more of a, actually, you know what? (laughs) Yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. (laughs) Maybe you're right. I think the way the song ended was definitely uh, an emphasis on this is the part that's important to me. I think that that song is like, this is a more precise, it's a little laser pointer of me going, this is the part I care about. And I just <laughs> didn't know how to, I didn't know how to emphasize, emphasize it before. So it's definitely been cool to have it. I don't play it that much. It's kind of a hard song to play live alone because there's so much going on on the record. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so you don't really play either one of those songs, do you? Uh, Perfect Wife, I still do because it's a really cool feeling when everyone sings together and like you can see it's just joy. Like Somehow it's just joy. Realistically, once we put out the new stuff, that's probably going to be one of the first songs to go. That'll probably be one of the first songs that I kind of throw into the the archives. Just because there is a lot of negativity in it, obviously. And I think it served its purpose. I think it existed where it needed to. But to some degree, meh. It's also the oldest song I have. So... I'll let it rest for a little while and see how it goes. You're always really good about talking to the audience throughout your entire live performance. And I feel like you're always really good at giving caveats to your songs. Like I, when I wrote this, you know, my feelings toward it were different or, um, (laughs) or like when I sang this part, I didn't mean it like this. So don't take it like that. (laughs) So, (laughs) So hopefully, hopefully you're, your truest fans out there who really pay attention to what you're saying understand that all your songs come from a place of love and uh, violence is not really something that you're trying to evangelize. Uh, I mean, I've, I've struggled with that quite a bit, not with the world, but with myself. Like the, the, there's so much negativity in the world as it is. And um, how do you portray these dark scenarios and situations without glorifying the the real world aspect of it and i kind of always go back to to horror fiction horror movies 
because there is a tasteful way to do it. And again, I'm not saying that I have found it. I have not reached, you know, the, the peak of, of how to convey that, but um, it's been really awesome to find that darkness in the human nature and find that absolute just morbidity that, that I enjoy. I, I like all that stuff. I like morbid things. I like dark stuff, not because, you know, because it is harmful, but because it's just an interesting part of humanity. It's a very, very dark. I mean, it's a very, uh, very primitive form of, of emotion. Um, and it's been exciting to kind of turn it on its head to where instead of just saying these bad stories, I've been trying to find a reason for them, which gives me a much greater purpose to writing for myself, not purpose in the world. <laughs> purpose for myself. It's, it's something to, to focus on. To keep you on. writing about the same theme that you've, I mean, to keep on carrying on the theme of Amigo the Devil, I feel like you'd have to keep on convincing yourself that those dark things are worthwhile. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, especially on Everything is Fine, for me, I had kind of really reached a point where I realized, hey, the, the darkest thing, the most brutal, the absolute lowest of the low is, you know, how I'm feeling. How I was feeling at the time. But that fight within ourselves, that fight to, to accept and love ourselves really is something that people don't see as this, this monster, but it is, it's a monster. It's this beast. And it's like, it's worse than any person out there. And it takes more people than anyone ever has. <laughs> it's brutal. And again, my purpose there was to try to humanize it because that's the only thing that made sense for myself. It's so easy to go down that rabbit hole just further and further. And it's been a huge, huge gift is a hard word because that implies something positive, but it's been incredible to connect with a lot of people that kind of realize, you know, this is a big group of us here. So it's, it's we're not alone. We're not struggling with it alone. Even if we are, there are people out there and that positivity is kind of what keeps me interested in, Hey, let's keep talking about this shit. Cause if we stop talking about it, then it just gets suppressed. It goes back to the lie that everything is great. Everything is happy. Everything is, is wonderful. And, you know, even in something like love, not everything is great. There's terrible kinds of it. There's very, oppressive and very very abusive types of love and that's worse than any serial killer on the on the new record there's also uh the song if i'm crazy uh which depicts the story of a really toxic relationship what was your inspiration for that song i was i don't even remember why it happened but i went through this little bout of I was basically thinking about all my past relationships at the time, right? And it's so easy to look back and say, 
ah, they're insane. Like that person was crazy. That person was just out of their minds. And it's so easy to just brush it off as like, hey, this, that was a shit relationship that sucked. Until I realized, wait a minute. I know these are good people. I know they are because it's not that everyone, every relationship that fails isn't because somebody all of a sudden is Looney Tunes, right? <laughs> right. Like, what did I do to make those people, not make, you can't make anybody do anything. Like, what, what did I do in that relationship that failed someone? What did I do that didn't allow someone to be their full potential, their, to be their, um, basically what roadblocks did I put in their way that prevented them from being happy? Like what was my part in the failure? And the more I thought about it, the more I realized, damn, it was so simple. We just, they're great people. I just wasn't good for them or they weren't good for me. It doesn't mean that they are broken people. It doesn't mean they're shit people. It just means like it wasn't the, the pair that needed to happen to benefit each other. We didn't make each other the best version of ourselves. And so I started thinking of being that person and staying in a relationship as that person. And it's very, very selfish. But in that moment, it, it feels safe because nothing changes. We stay in these bad situations again because we feel like, oh, well, it'll change or it'll get better or I have nowhere else to go or a ton of different reasons. And, and it was kind of it was cool to get that out to accept my flaws and my part in, in what I had previously considered like, Oh, that person's just nuts. And, and I, I don't feel that way anymore. And through that, I learned a lot, you know, like when I was, when I was younger, especially, you know, like the, the whole aspect of like jealousy, for example, such a weird concept because and this changes for everyone obviously this is just personal but i realized that i kept thinking of any moment that i was jealous right what a shitty thing to do and feel like what a what a possessive emotion that is what a what a strange like god complex <laughs> idea that is of like well if if you're not getting all your joy you know from from me from this relationship bah! <laughs> <laughs> then i'm gonna it's, make it so you don't feel any joy at all yeah it's it's such a strange concept to, to hold on to and i've absolutely had moments where i'm guilty of it and and it just once I realized that possessive nature of it, I felt so grossed out by it. I was like, this is disgusting. A relationship shouldn't be ownership ever, 
at, at any point ever. It's in my opinion. And so that song was a huge release for me of being like, Hey, you, you, everyone has this person in them. Just don't do it. Mm-hmm. Get it out here. Get it, get it out here at this moment and just let it go after that. Keep it in a box and burn the box. <laughs> just, <laughs> just like let this song be the box. <laughs> um, Jealousy yeah. is something that everybody on earth experiences. And it's, I think it's a huge sign of growing up when you can realize that it's something coming from within yourself that you have to overcome when you feel that emotion. Or that the relationship is just not right for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's, it takes a lot of looking within yourself and a lot of growing up to realize that. So that's really incredible. Well, I feel grown up. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was a hard lesson to learn. It's, it's a really, really hard moment to realize that now that I'm on the other side of it, it's such a weird concept, but you know, when you, when you put yourself back into it, it, all it is, is, is basically, at least on my end, what it was that I think it was, uh, I can only assume what I know is real. And it was just all of my insecurities, things that I didn't think I could do for somebody and saying, well, if, if I can't, then it's not something you need. Right. Uh, that's the subconscious I'm assuming, but I never thought that like immediately, but <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, I'm not sitting there going, you can't have this <laughs> no. <laughs> in my mind. I, I feel like that's, that's why I probably felt that jealousy was just, well, if someone else can, can provide this or if, if they can, if not provide, if, if, if they can find this elsewhere, in a different aspect of their life, then I must not be doing something correctly. Or I must not be, you know, saying the right things. Or I must not be. And then there's the fear. That's where the possessive nature comes in. The fear of something else in the world. Not even a person. Just anything else taking that person from you. Because they can do what you can't. And that's gross. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, that's a gross feeling. That's like, like, like with Alicia, for example, I am, if, if there's something that she's not getting from our relationship, I just want her to be happy. I'm, I'm happy for her to, you know, do, I'm here to help her find any happiness that, that she wants to have in this world. And I think that that's the first, the first priority for me in relationships moving forward now, like with friendships, with family, it doesn't just have to be uh, romantic. The more freedom you give someone to be happy, the more they will love you completely freely. And um, I think that the more naturally somebody wants to gravitate toward you, the less fear there is to begin with. It's that, that, that open policy, like just the concept of honesty, the concept of communication, you know, whether it's career, whether it's 
food. <laughs> like, I feel like there's even a journey like somebody, you know, I was just talking with a friend who wants to stop drinking. They hate it. They are not interested in that anymore. And the biggest struggle that they have is they don't know how it's going to impact the relationship because of how often that activity is involved in their joy, essentially, in their like fun. That's hard. And otherwise, I know that their relationship is awesome. Um, I also know that it's it's hard for me to hear that as a friend because I'm like, man, I I really hope that you are able to get the support from your partner that you want, but they won't talk about it. And there's the communication. And I bet if they were just honest and they were just, they just talked about it, I'll bet you they could work it out. But there's that, that weird, the, the fear, the fear of losing something that you love and harming yourself in turn because of it. So that took a turn. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I don't mean for everything we talk about to be depressing. <laughs> Man, I don't care. I, this is, this is just my weird little DIY project. So I don't, there's, there's no rule that this podcast has to stay on subject. <laughs> we yeah. don't have to stay on track. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm, Part of the reason why I wanted to do this project is because I want to talk to people about love and in whatever concept or form that means to them. But I also know that when you talk about love, it brings up so many other things or so many other aspects of a person's personality. And so that's just like the anchor, but we could talk about whatever. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I mean, love, love is fun because it is literally the root of essentially anything that we do when you separate it from romance. Yeah. Like love isn't just partnership and banging people. Like I, I personally believe that we have put love in this bubble where it loses all the other meanings of it. And there's so many different types of love that we neglect nowadays because it isn't this, um, this, this partnership, this romantic involvement, I think that's dangerous. Because mm -hmm. I think that's where we put a lot of expectations on ourselves as partners, as uh, just as, as the, again, the, the God complex thing, where we put so much emphasis on this one kind of love socially, that that is now what love means. Which means once you are in it, you better be all of it. I'm like, chief, a lot of pressure. Man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We expect a person, like one single person, to fulfill every single bit of our happiness and continue to be attractive to us and uh and be like everything in the whole world for the rest of our lives. And that's like a lot of pressure to put on one person. <laughs> yeah. You got you to find joy from like a lot of places in the world. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I wish people could use that same energy and that same passion and fire that they have with love towards anything else. 
the, the whatever book you're reading, like love that book. Immerse yourself fully and give that book the passion that you have and let it ignite your imagination and fly away from earth and <laughs> and and live in the within the love of that that story, right? Yeah. And that takes a lot of pressure off of other people when you're able to just find love in things that live within yourself. And that's where I'm at. It's trying to trying to remind myself constantly that love lives so many different places. And and love doesn't mean that you have to be able to just fuck something. Like <laughs> love 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 can be so many different things. So you talk about jealousy and all this stuff, and it seems like that's a major topic in the song Husband that you often conclude your shows with, which is my personal favorite Amigo the Devil song. It's about wishing that somebody's spouse would die because you miss them and love them so much. So tell me the story behind that song. Uh, so it is as as close to a joke as reality can get it's based on a real situation but not a real feeling so it was definitely more of a it's someone that i have a, a really great relationship with someone that i have had a, a very great relationship with for, for a very long time and we're kind of beyond that stage where things matter at all like it's best friend but you know you know when you know someone so well that nothing really matters anymore yeah and it's just kind of a whole different bracket you're not it's like you're not dating them you you don't love them like that but it's more than a friendship and it's just this exciting brand new bracket where you just you'll always love them you love them to death but you can never be with them. And that, that song was written about someone like that as a joke, just as like a little, a little jab, just like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it ended up again, shifting into a, a ton of different things. And now it means a lot more to me than it used to. Now I apply it to a lot of things that I have, not even people just, situations and opportunities that I have let go of in the past or things that I didn't take full advantage of while they were happening. Um, like jo job stuff and things like that, just cool opportunities that I never fully took advantage of that are now you know, way, way beyond reach. And it's fun to see how that applies again, just cross multiple different aspects. So sadly enough that the person the song refers to did actually die. Really? Yeah. Like years later, but he did die. Oh my God. How did you and feel? So I, <laughs> terrible. Terrible. I was like, Oh no. Uh, and I sat there for a second. Do I, do I, do I sing it? Yeah, I'll sing it. And again, it's just a song. It's a song is a song. Yeah. A tongue in cheek song at that. Yeah. They both knew the song. They both loved the song. They both, 
it wasn't a wasn't an actual death wish, but it's just kind of shit timing. Yeah. Well, I guess any death is bad timing. Yeah, most deaths are bad timing. So there's that. <laughs> I don't say that. Uh, I don't say that very often. Well, I'm glad that you gave him a great homage. You'll always think of him when you sing that song. <laughs> but, you know, that's another example of of taking a general concept that most people have felt and trying to apply it to the worst, most extreme situation that I could think of for that feeling. And I think within that extremity, one of the goals is to take away the shock value aspect. Because I think that's what cheapens it song-wise. And that's what I didn't know how to do before was to put across the same emotions without the shock value, essentially. And, you know, I'm learning. It's doing the best I can. I don't, I don't know everything. <laughs> I, I know very little in the long run. So. Same with all of us. No, I think that's really important. It's important to be able to take a really dark situation and make light of it and have everyone in on the same joke. You know, like everyone at your shows singing along, like, I hope your husband dies. No one actually means that. It's important that we all, that we know that. Like, it's important to just sort of ball up that feeling of jealousy or, or regretfulness or whatever it is that we have inside us and just like have some catharsis about it and have some dark humor about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll always love dark humor. I was raised on it. I, I don't understand too much else. So that's not going <laughs> anywhere <too. laughs> anytime soon. At least. I've just been trying to be mindful of it. Mindful of, of what is damaging versus actually funny. Yeah. Like what is just shock value versus actually embracing a situation to, to, to provide relief from it. That's a really, really hard line to draw. I feel like a lot of artists struggle with that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're all the same. Anyone who writes music is the same. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Exactly the same. (laughs) (laughs) You and Garth Brooks, exactly the same. I nailed it. Got it. <laughs> I mean, that's that's why Chris Gaines came out. That's, that's... right. Got to get some frosted tips, though. Oh, my God. See, Garth, Garth was just the inspiration. But Chris came down and was like, I am you. We are together. <laughs> that's, that's where I live on that. He's like, don't hold me too high, almighty. This is, I am my people. <laughs> So tell me about how you and Alicia met. We knew each other for about a year before dating. And I was just through similar circles, mutual friends in similar circles. And uh, I, it's, it's weird because we always were great friends. And it wasn't, it wasn't like the, the tension that a lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, I, I dreamed of this person for, for a year while I knew them. And like, it wasn't like, a, we were just like 
best friends, like really good friends. And then one day it just made sense. Like it made total sense. And the amount of days that we've spent apart from each other is shocking. It's like seven in five years. Amazing. Four years. I mean, that's because of touring and like, you know, she does all the hard work on tour. And I just sit around and play music. (laughs) It was a huge relief to have someone that I didn't hide anything from ever. I'm a shameful person by nature. I just am. Always have been. What do you mean by that? Um, I know that I enjoy life quite a bit. Very excessive in a lot of uh, a lot of ways. So there was always some sort of there was always a little bit of me that I try to keep to myself. A little bit of that excess that I was like, "Yeah, this this one's for you, buddy. You you keep that in." <laughs> And, you know, that always, that always shows up later. That always shows up as, as resentment or as blame or any type of, like, you're keeping me from being myself, when in reality, you just never showed it to anybody. And I just kept it from people. So it was always, always hard to have that little bit. and. Since we were friends for so long, she already knew everything. She was like that friend that just knew everything. I, I didn't hide shit from her. Amazing. And, and when we ended up together, it was just... I think one of the first like real conversations we had, and it was the first time that I'd ever sat down and been like, hey, I'm not going to change. Like these things, obviously I'm going to change as, as life goes on, but like these aspects of my life just aren't going to change. And that was the first time that I had put it all out there. And she's like, cool. I know. Like, I know you. (laughs) And so she's, uh, she's always been very supportive of, of that, of every, every part of me, which is cool. And at what point did you guys decide that you were going to tour together? To be honest, it was kind of that like honeymoon phase thing. It started as like, just come on tour with me. I don't want to be away from you. And it just never stopped. Part of it definitely was a huge help on the, on the relief side of the business end. But it was just nice to to have somebody that was like-minded. And she's so kind with everyone. Like her patience and kindness are just above and beyond. And I think that we we did enhance each other's lives. It didn't feel like we were taking over either or's life. It just ended up being a really nice thing to work on together. And I think we still prefer to be around each other, which is nuts. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be interesting to see where you guys are at in a couple of months of being at home. (laughs) 
I'm yeah. just kidding. You guys are going to be fine. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> nah, we're really good about giving each other space when we have to. and Even even near each other. Like, we're very, very mindful of giving each other uh, breathing room. And I think that was one of the coolest things about the, the kind of love that we have found and formed is that it is completely non-restrictive to either lifestyle. And it really does enhance as opposed to take. It's just things are just better with, with her. They're not different. They're just better. Like I don't have to maneuver my life in a way that is different from how I would normally live. I'm just, it's enhanced by her presence. So, and hopefully, hopefully vice versa, but she's not here to, so I won't speak for her, but (laughs) I know, I know on my side, it's enhanced. (laughs) I'm sure she would say the same. And uh, I think that sounds like the type of love that everyone on earth searches for. So you guys are incredibly lucky and deserving. It's been cool. It obviously has its ups and downs. Everything does. There's no like perfect equation. We're all human. Like I have, she'll have like a bad day. I'll have a bad month. (laughs) 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 But That's okay. What do you think is a major thing that she's taught you about yourself? I'm going through all of them. There's quite a few. (laughs) I think the person that I have finally allowed myself to be is, uh, is because of her patience and kindness. I think that there's a very real moment where I, I realized that the aggressiveness, not, not in violence, but aggressiveness in, you know, I grew up in Miami, which is a very, very fast, aggressive city. And I think that seeing her patience and kindness with the world has given me this perspective on how to just allow things to exist in their own time. Like being impatient with, with an airline, for example. You know, even if the person on the other line is being rude, if they're being unhelpful, that used to affect me a lot. Like if I got somebody and they were rude on the phone, I was like, nope, I'm done. This is, we're, (laughs) we're both, we're both losing tonight. And, and, and I think learning that that really never, ever accomplishes anything. And that's the, the, the immediate example I can think of, but that applied to my entire life has been really exciting because you start seeing how much kindness there is in the world and you start realizing most of the time that people are rude or unhelpful or just not willing to cooperate with your idea of what should be happening. Something that I used to take, you know, offensively and personally, like, oh, you are attacking me. Nah, they're just going through something on their own that I don't know about. Whether they have a bad year or they're 
you know, dealing with family or they're dealing with uh, just general unhappiness in their job. It has nothing to do with me. And me making it worse for them does nothing. Not for me, not for them. I'm just giving them more grief than they, they need. And I 100% uh, attribute that change in mindset to Alicia. I bet that that evolution in your life has made touring a lot easier. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't imagine how stressful touring would be if uh, you're getting unnecessarily frustrated with people having a bad day all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's even applied to to shows themselves. I mean, you know, people go to shows for different reasons. They have a different purpose. Some people just want to go get drunk with their friends. Some people want to hear music but not be involved with it. Some people are there to completely immerse themselves. And I used to get so down on myself when I'd hear a ton of people talking during the slow songs, for example. And it would just, I'd, I'd be livid. And I don't think I ever reacted negatively. Don't quote me on that, but I don't <laughs> think I ever like freaked out. But I always internalized it. And I always asked myself, like, what, what am I doing wrong? Why, why aren't they listening? Which, again, is a very, very self-important perspective. And after I started calming down with everything else in my life, I kind of realized that, nah, no, nah, no, nah, this, this has nothing to do with you. Like, they're here for their own purpose. They have their own, their own uh, idea of what should be happening, and that's exactly what they should do. There's obviously examples of people being blatantly rude and ruining the show for everyone else. But for the most part, it helped me realize, like, get your head out of your own ass, dude. Like, it's, everyone has their own journey, their own reason for being, their own reason for reacting, their own reason for enjoying something that, that you don't. And... It's nice. It's nice because I finally got to see people enjoying their lives as opposed to wondering what I'm doing wrong all the time. No one is that powerful. Like no one no one deserves everyone's complete attention at all times, you know what I mean? It's we're all in it together. Everyone at a show has, has their part, their reason. And it's made touring so much cooler. Well, the empathy that you show people at all times is really, really inspiring to me, Danny. <laughs> but, <No. laughs> you know, it's a, that's a really hard perspective to keep up every day. And I admire that a lot. It, to some degree, it becomes habit, I guess, like anything else. Right. I still have nights where I'm I freak out on, on on different things and I'm just having a bad night in general. I'm very self-critical at all times. And that's okay. But it eases the pressure of feeling like I have to be this specific idea that I set for myself when when I know that 
know, people are more kind and more forgiving than we give credit. And now we're all quarantined in our houses <laughs> without fear. <laughs> And now we don't have to show anybody empathy at all. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No one at all. I'm just going to forget it all. I'm going to go out and in a month or two and just be like, what? <laughs> I think this is going to teach us some really incredible lessons about empathy and uh, knowing that we're all in a situation together and equally freaking out at the same time. <laughs> I'm already seeing a lot more positivity on the internet than I have. Well, yeah. maybe not positivity toward the world, but positivity toward each other. <laughs> toward each other is fine, yeah. You know, I'm trying to find silver linings. <laughs> I think the internet is slowly becoming the joy of every day. People are just hilarious. <laughs> If if anything at all, like if if the internet has done one thing for us, it has shown me at least that the world is way funnier than I ever thought. Yeah, people are hilarious. <laughs> yeah, the the Twitter jokes and the memes coming out of the situation are just amazing, and the fact that everybody on Twitter is being like, "Listen, everybody's horny." <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I'm glad that we're all being honest and we're just the fact that our bosses follow us on Twitter is just going out the window. We don't care. It doesn't matter. No one cares. <laughs> it's quarantine orgies. Here we go. Just to- <laughs> um, what was I going to say? I totally just lost my train of thought. Um, You're just thinking of horny Twitter now. I, pff, man, that's uh, it's really weird. the only place my brain ever is. Yeah. Oh, so the song Hell and You, you've been singing that forever and you put it on patches and people get tattoos of it all the time. (laughs) That song to me seems to combine the old Amigo the Devil about serial killers and uh, finding empathy for the the bad guy in, in the story Uh, And also the new Amigo the Devil that's like finding the beauty in the darkness in normal life and the things that people do in relationships and adventures and all that stuff. Why do you think that particular song connects with people so much like it does? I think there's a very, very blatant honesty about it, especially because it was so... Cocaine and Abel was the the first song that I'd ever written as pure verbal vomit. I literally just, just sang it. I didn't sit down to write it. It just, um, it was feelings that I just said, right? I I didn't care about the structure. I didn't care about any of that. Uh, Hell and You, which was written before cocaine, was the closest thing to that that I've gotten within a song itself where you know that moment where you you realize how much you you genuinely care about someone want to be with them hold them like the the moment where you genuinely feel that you want to be just completely overtaken by this human 
in, in every aspect of your life and you want to be surrounded by them at all times, at least in that moment. That, that moment of, of brilliance, that spark, all of the lyrics to Hell and You were written during that spark. The moment that you, you realize you, you really love somebody genuinely, truly, and, and passionately. And that, I think, is, is one of the songs that I, I don't even know if I wrote it in terms of sitting down and having an idea. I think I just meant it. And when I started singing it to myself, I mean, the story of the chorus is actually really funny because I had written the verse and it felt good, it felt really good. And I was back in Miami. I, it's after I'd moved away, but I was back visiting for a little while. And there was a situation I was going through, good one. And I remember um, I was on my way to, uh, to meet some friends at a club, actually, not even a bar, like <laughs> just a silly Miami club. We were all going to meet up again and, and have a good time, you know. And, and I remember parking and I started singing the chorus as I was parking. And I remember getting out of the car. I was like, cool, that's, that's a cool chorus for something. And then I had remembered the verse that I had written earlier in the day. I was like, oh, my God, it fits. It works. Wow. So I, uh, I ended up driving back to where I was staying. And I just I finished writing it. And then I went out again after. I was, just, I was late as hell. But, but I remember I recorded myself playing it just so I wouldn't forget it. And it felt really good. It felt very, very, very real because it explained how I was feeling at the moment. And that's one of the songs when I sing it, I don't really care about the words because I remember the feeling I had while the words were coming out and it just felt good. I think people catch on to, you know, we, we all live on some sort of energy vibration, dude. <laughs> so I think that there are those songs where that, that energy, that, that emotion is kind of trapped in a little bubble and frozen in time. So that's one of them for me. I think people feel that. Yeah. That's really incredible. I love I love the fact that you <laughs> went home from a club <laughs> to, <go, laughs> to finish writing that song, and then you went back to the club. It's like, no, this is far more important right now. I'm not going to remember yeah. this later. I think that's so yeah. important for creatives to realize is like when you get that spark and you have that in oh. your head, you got to write it down because you're not going to remember it later. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. That That is love coming through you. I genuinely believe that when you have a moment with a song, whether, you know, whether it's good or bad love, like, I think that that is a wave 
a, a force that is, is going through you. And if you ignore it, it'll just pass. It'll, it'll be gone. It's, it's the little bit that we are granted as, as creative beings. And I think that applies to everybody, not just you know, musicians or artists. Or, or I think that applies to everybody. And that's where instinct is uh, hit or miss. And it's up to us to either capture it or let it go. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's okay to let it go and just go like, that mm-hmm. was a fleeting, beautiful moment. But if you want it to be captured and you want to give that moment to other people later through your art, then you better write it down right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord. what a weird thing. <laughs> Like trying to capture emotions and all that. Some some hippie ass bullshit we're talking about. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is. I mean, kind of, kind of is. It kind of is. I catch myself in that a lot. I'm like, did you say that? Did you really just say that? <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> let's go fucking bury my head in gravel for an hour and <laughs> bury my head in granola. <laughs> Well, I think that is about all we have time for. (laughs) I'm sorry for rambling as always. Oh my God, are you kidding me? (laughs) I, um, there are very few people in this world I would like to hear ramble more than you, Danny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's always nice speaking with you and I got to see you right now. So that's a bonus. Yeah, that's pretty damn cool. Even in quarantine. (laughs) Getting yeah. to see your face. Technology. Technology is really cool. Well, do you have do you have anything you'd like to plug for people? Like you can tell them where to find your stuff now that you're not on tour. Um, I mean, online everything is is just amigo the devil. What I like Facebook.com slash amigo the devil. <laughs> everything is just amigo the devil, but um I know we just rescheduled some dates of the murder by death. For July, I hope that we are able to fulfill those. I hope everyone just stay home. Stay home for a while. It's just everyone wants to get back to their normal lives. Every, like, that, that's the one thing that I find frustrating is that everyone wants the same thing. But the, the longer we don't <laughs> try to get this under control, the longer it's going to take for everyone to be able to do that. So that's not a plug at all. That's just like, please, I really want a tour. I know everyone wants to go back to work. Everyone wants to go back. Everyone wants to, everyone wants the same common goal. Like nobody doesn't want life to continue. So it's, it's hard. Stay home, wash your hands and make sure that your boomer parents listen to you and stay home too. (laughs) The washing your hands thing, I thought people were doing that anyway. Me too, man. Whatever. I am learning that it's mostly boys in the bathroom not washing their hands. Like, I talk to friends that are like, oh yeah, dudes don't do that. And I'm like, what? Didn't we all go to like the same kindergarten classes where they teach us that (laughs) when we're like five years old? Wash your damn hands. (laughs) I just wash my hands anyway. Like... I'm like, oh, these things are dirty, huh? Like, I have a solution for it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. It's 
seems so simple. But yeah, thanks for thanks for having us on this. I really always appreciate talking to you. Likewise, my friend. This episode of Hot Blooded was written, hosted, and produced by me, Kat Jones. It was edited by Evan Dulaney, and the theme song was written and composed by Jordan Olds. The logo was made by Corey Largent, who goes by Insane Clan Pasta on Instagram, and additional graphics were made by Jonathan Amaya. Special thanks to Alicia Way, James Wright, and Guy Hawkinson. I also want to send out my sincere gratitude from the bottom of my heart to the people who subscribe to the Lover tier on Patreon, Ronnie Rodriguez, Mark Bassett, Rob Menzer, Janet Delango Davis, and the band Drug Salad. If you love this podcast and want to help me continue to make more episodes, you can subscribe to bonus content and more on Patreon at patreon.com slash hotbloodedpodcast. You can also send me donations at any time with the Cash App at hotbloodedpodcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, and share with anyone who loves love and rock and roll as much as we do. I love you all. See you next week.